Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. My name is Lindsay, and today's guest is my good friend, Evan Haskins. Hey, Evan. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I am really excited to catch up. Um, Evan is another one of my friends from my Florida past. I feel like that's been a theme lately on the podcast. So I haven't talked to to him in several years. I'm excited to hear about what you've been up to. So I guess to just give everyone a little history of of how we know each other, like I I mentioned, we, uh, we met in Florida. We actually met in Tampa several years ago. And I don't know if I've actually shared this on the podcast before, but my one of my my ex boyfriend was a, a brewer, and so I made beer for a living, which uh, was really like an alcoholic dream <laughs> to be dating someone who has unlimited access <laughs> to beer. That's so true. <laughs> but uh, because of that relationship, I ended up having a lot of friends within the beer industry. So people that own breweries or beer bars or worked for breweries and. Um, Evan was one of those people I knew who worked in the beer industry. So I remember hanging out at Independent Bar in Seminole Heights. I think that's where we first met. Yeah, I remember that. I feel like I remember you guys were in like a carriage house or something (laughs) in Seminole Heights. I remember that. And this is one of those funny kind of where I remember you from games, especially when you're sober, or at least my experience is because of the way I drank, it's hard for me to recall um, the last time I saw you somewhere, you know, or it'll be like, oh my gosh, apparently I was out in Seminole Heights, you know, three nights in a row and I don't remember any of them. And we had incredible (laughs) conversation and that kind of stuff. I was, you know, I was pretty, pretty bad in the blackout and and blabbering my mouth on. So. uh, Oh my God. Same here. We probably, we would always drag people to the VFW with like the old bench bar because it was just like, (laughs) 90 percent alcohol and it was like four dollars for a drink and we would just get completely blackout drunk yeah and the problem there is you don't get to remember the the pretty okay war stories people probably wanted to tell you guys yeah oh no no idea you're just <laughs> blackout drunk but yeah. but yeah i i remember that you had just moved to tampa i be- i want to say from alabama yeah, so my my journey to Tampa was, I, I, I frame it this way, which was I had gone to school in Alabama and grew up there, but then uh, I took a job repping for a Georgia brewery as their Florida rep. So I moved from Alabama to Florida, but my tie into the beer industry was a, a Georgia affiliation. So it was around that time uh, I was working with a company and my boss, I think, was buddies with uh, your ex. And so just by the nature of, you know, being in Tampa and being out on the scene, that's kind of how you and I invariably cross paths. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, you know, I, it's funny reflecting back on it and thinking about it. I think that was quite a heyday for, for reps to just go out and meet people and, and just get really involved in the industry, especially Monday nights, Tuesday nights, you know, just all those off hours that some alcoholics have to like dream about and, you know, go into a bar over the weekend. And instead we, you know, we're out chatting it up at any hour of the day. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you guys actually do that because your job is to go out to bars and to like buy your beer and have a beer with people and talk about the beer. (laughs) Your whole job is drinking pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. It was, it certainly was. And uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best way to frame it other than, like, you know, there, there are sales reps for any kind of 
widget, but you know, normally if you're repping like a, a socket set, you're going out to the AutoZone or you're going to Firestone and you're trying to sell tools to a mechanic. But for us, it was like, let's just convince people to drink our beer. But all the while, there's just absolutely um, open wild country for you to just drink the beer right alongside everyone else. And, and for me, it's like, it, when I got into that position coming out of college, especially, it, it just became, oh, there are a lot of people that drink really strong ABV craft beer at like 10 in the morning. Oh my God. You know, and it just, it just, for me, just bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and a, a budding, you know, 22 year old alcoholic. I'm just going, you, you, you know, you mean, you mean this is normal? Yeah. Like this is okay to drink at, mm-hmm. yeah, at 10 in the morning with people in most jobs, you feel like you're doing something wrong, but this is actually like encouraged. Yeah. And it was, it, it was to the point where it was kind of like, you're, you're really not going to have like a, a 9am brunch IPA with us right now. Like, you know, <laughs> is, is there something wrong with you? And there are a lot of people that can be normal in that scene, but it, it just is, you know, you're fishing where the fish are. If you're, if you have a drinking problem and it, it just is like so welcome for you to just be holding a beer in your hand. If it's 3 PM or like 3 AM, you know, it's like expected of you in a way. Wow. So could you give a little bit more information on like what your role was as a beer rep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to um, elaborate on the scene a little bit. So um, I, th- I think it's, it's certainly still this way to a degree, but especially in like the late, like, the late aughts, right? Like 2008, 2009, getting into 2010, 2011, like craft beer as an industry was seeing like double digit year over year growth. So what that meant was you had a lot of, you know, small and medium sized businesses that were all of a sudden going legit, you know, certain States like Alabama, where I mentioned I'm from is like passing legislation, talking about, legitimizing beers over a certain ABV, you know, legitimizing craft beer. And so there was this like big boom of an industry happening in 2010, 11, 12. Um, and, and part of that craft beer industry outside of your traditional, you know, like Miller or Bud sales was you had these little breweries that needed to go make a name for themselves. And the best way for them to do it was, the brewery hire a sales rep to basically go out and, you know, wear the logo on a, on a shirt and a hat and just kind of be this embodiment of what the craft beer brand stands for, you know? So, you know, things that may come to mind are just, you, you see a craft beer buddy that's, that's wearing a lot of like camping gear or just kind of an outdoor enthusiast brand. And, and that kind of parries into, you know, well, we're, we're the craft beer brand that you want to take camping. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm the rep who's always out camping and putting on events that reflect this brewery's personality, so to speak. And so, especially back then, 2010, 11, 12, you just had this huge scene of, there's a lot of craft beer money. There's a lot of investment. And a lot of reps that are all going out fighting for the same kind of tap handle space at these craft beer bars that are also growing and booming. The The role of the rep was beer has to be sold to a distributor. The national law says you got to sell it to a distributor who can then place it 
either in a store or on a bar tap. And the one way to circumvent sales to kind of drive a, a bar owner to purchase the beer when you can't rely on the distributor to sell it for you or, you know, commit to always giving you a certain handle is your, your rep going in, talking to a bar manager at 1 p.m. You're buying a beer with them. Maybe instead of 1 p.m., their shift is they close a bar down from 1 to 3 a.m. So you're out at 1 in the morning, you know, drunk, having a craft beer conversation or just, you know, building a relationship with somebody. And your, your whole game is drive beer sales being pulled off their tap and you're using a company credit card to pay for the beer tabs. And, and so it was just kind of this like you're, you're, you're playing with house money to mm-hmm. go out and consume very expensive, very well-made craft beer, just kind of with no, no seatbelt. And um, most people are responsible adults and, and that's their job. And they, they manage that just fine and, uh, and, and they can get on with it. But speaking for myself, I just, I was given kind of the keys to the drinking kingdom as a rep to just go around and, and not have any accountability and just go consume and drive awareness. And that, that was it. And it was a, it was a fast ramp for me. To me, that sounds almost like a liability or something like, sounds pretty dangerous to be like, here's our credit card, drink as much as you want, buy drinks for people and then drive home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was the state of the industry. I mean, that you, you would have, I mean, even the company I was with, they, they weren't huge, but they had reps all over the Eastern seaboard and they're all doing that. You know, they're all going out and, and buying out bar tabs. Now the liability is, you know, if you get it in the hands of a drunk, they're going to spend more. Yeah. Um, but you know, my, my poor rationalization at the time was, you know, I, I still had decent numbers, right. I still had good mm-hmm. growth. And, and at the time, I mean, I, I even hate to say it this way, but my, my thought pattern was I'll, I'll kind of wait to be called out if I'm spending too much. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy myself and ensure that I present the growth that they're asking for. And, you know, very irresponsible, but that was certainly where my head was. Mm-hmm. When you were interviewing for the job, did they do any kind of, not even like a vetting process, but even just some sort of training? Like, hey, you know, if you don't have, uh, you know, control over this or a good handle of this and can really separate between drinking and that this is your job, like this, there could be a problem there. Any, I guess any sort of help or training or assistance there at the beginning? You know, there was really no oversight. Um, I kind of want to connect the dots to like... Um, like what you know, get, jumping to the end when I was fizzling out, and when I I recognized I had a problem and I needed to kind of really change everything about what I was doing and get sober. I went. I had transitioned to working for a beer distributor, and I remember going into the HR office to finally tender my resignation. And it was kind of up in the air because I went dark for a little bit. It was kind of up in the air of like, can I be sober and work at the beer distributor? And going into resign the entire human resources department was just floor to ceiling, like beer paraphernalia and bottles of beer. And it just like this, this little haven you would expect as a corporation to help their employees, you know, straighten their life up. It was just an immediate recognition of like, there is no way in this industry I could, I could stay afloat and stay sober speaking for myself, you know, And, and back to your, your first part of the question of like, was I vetted coming into it? I think, 
The only vetting process I kind of went through was um, when I was going in to get hired, especially with the first ones. They're like, well, come come do a formal interview and then come have a beer with us afterward. And I think that was kind of the litmus test of like, how did, what's this guy's comportment when he sits down and has a drink, you know, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't like, all right, let's, let's have a drink with him. And then we'll, we'll throw him a Xanax and then we'll do some Adderall. (laughs) And then like, let's see where we're at at two in the morning and like, you know, right. (laughs) Right. This guy run into the ATM or what, you know, there wasn't any of that. What's funny. I'm, I'm kind of having a moment because there, there's a lot to think about there. And I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't publicly talked about this really with anybody outside of AA, you know, I, I was friends with a lot of people in the industry and I never just circled back to tell them kind of what I went through. And I, I've never really kind of had this public forum to reflect on like the environment. But I, I think the first thing to say is, like I mentioned a minute ago, there's just a lot of incredible people in that industry and a lot of just For sure. great people in the hospitality industry that you interact with that were, were just super special and, and really had it together and are continuing to do great things in the mm-hmm. industry, you know, just, just full steam ahead. And, and so I am like in a clinical trial, I'm like the end of one, right. I'm, I'm just one patient describing my situation. So just talking for me as somebody who I believe has a disease and, and just was very predisposed to, just having an allergic reaction when I took drugs and drinking there, there wasn't an environment molded for people like me to give them help. It was just, you're, you're surrounded by such a good group of people either in hospitality or in the alcohol creating industry side of things that nobody's really going, Hey, you know, this kind of reminds me of these other three guys who we think also have a problem. It it just was, it just was something that was never, really ever brought up. And and I think a lot of people either had a bad night themselves or were around somebody that had like kind of a really nasty, like show your ass night. Mm. And there was never much of a, uh, Hey, we need to do like uh, an HR intervention or we need to, we need to really sit down and like recalibrate. It was just kind of, well, this is, this is, you know, one of those days. And, and we hope you recognize what had happened and that you're, you're going to be, be a little calmer. So mm-hmm. I find it, I find it interesting and maybe it has changed since 2016, but, but back then there were not a lot of resources of like, Hey, this, this thing can be for real and, and we need to help employees that need to transition out of this. Right. Did you ever kind of make some rules or boundaries for yourself? Like, okay, uh, I'm only going to have three beers tonight, or I'm going to have a beer and then a water or do some, you know, these little tricks that some of us do to, to try to like not get drunk. So I, I call those my precious memories today. Um, just kind of bouncing all around. I, I know you have a lot of guests that, that work sobriety in different ways. And so speaking mm-hmm. for myself, I work sobriety through the AA program. Okay. Right. I'm kind of a big book AA guy. And so part of, part of, discovering and working through sobriety and, and understanding it by going through the 12 step program is just kind of those like that step one of um, admitting we're powerless. And that speaks to exactly what you're describing that, that trying to control my drinking, you mm-hmm. know, of this plus water, this or that. And the precious memories I'm referring to is like, I had a lot of years of just absolutely wide open pedal to the metal, no control at all. And then when I met, my now wife, who I just was infatuated with, 
it was just like, it was just two worlds colliding, right? Which was this like unfettered alcoholic. But all of a sudden I meet this kind of like shining light in my life, but I was still descending rapidly in my alcoholism and drug abuse. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden having all these moments of, oh my gosh, I need to like, I need to tidy up because bad things are happening when I'm drinking around her now. Mm. And it's, and then the, the precious memories are me being at beer events and going, uh, nah, not tonight guys. I'm just, just having a water tonight, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just remembering how terrible that was. It's just it was yeah. like the worst feeling to just be like, I, I, I remember it clear as day, Lindsay. I'm like walking around with a Dasani water bottle, just holding it going, uh, I'm taking the night off, you know, and it just was like, oh, I wanted, I wanted to drink so bad. And then, yeah, there'd be other times where, you know, it, she was just so fed up with me and it was like, it was like, you need to really change what you're doing. And I started doing like what the AA big book describes of the way you control drinking. Like you only drink a natural wine or you switch from whiskey to brandy, you know, or yeah. you, <laughs> you swear it off. I'll never do it during working hours or I'll take a vacation and not drink or I'll take a vacation to drink and then be done or whatever it is. And, and for me, it was so similar. And I'd, it's not like I was reading the big book and drinking. So I'm just correlating this stuff after the fact, but I had like the, okay, no more vodka, no more gin, only beer, only low ABV beers. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just a run of the mill drunk when it comes to, I, I just, I prefer accelerating my blood, my buzz into a blackout and just like being a numb myself out alcoholic and just mm-hmm. really uncomfortable with the middle ground, like the right. one beer at an event. Terrible. Yeah. So I don't, if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing a little bit more about what you were like when you would drink or is there like mm-hmm. a story that kind of describes it? Well, yeah, I have a couple, I have a couple things that come to mind. Um, so that that first year and a half when I was with working with a brewery, um, it, 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 I, I really did well. I mean, I'm sure I had my moments, but it, I was in this like honeymoon phase of just being what I would describe to be like a happy blackout. It would be I'd, I'd travel the state, you know, I'd have a beer event set up and, and wherever I ended up, I would end up blackout drunk. But you know, when I would wake up in a panic the next morning and just kind of call people and like check how I was or check how the event went or hear from the bar manager. And basically I would just like garner all this info of like, last night was great. We had a great time with you. The event went really well. We're really glad that we did this. You know, those, those kinds of, um, the, those forms of feedback. I had a really good year and a half where I just was in my happy blackout honeymoon period. And I, I loved that I could drink as much as I want and get away with it, so to speak. And then um, I, I, I was kind of eyeballing career paths and I was like, I can go work for this local distributor. And so I go from traveling the state of Florida to being local. And, and it was, it was truly like when I, when I met this woman that I loved and she started going, you know, it, it seems to me like you have a have a drinking problem. Oh, so she called you out on it? Yeah, she was the first uh, person like in my life to just overtly go, you know, I, I think you've got an issue. And my alcoholism just hated that. I mean, it, it just was like, finally, I was exposed. And so what was I like is I, I go from this, 
really good year and a half in Florida being a happy blackout to this like really dark stormy year and a half in Florida before sobriety where I just would, I was still a blackout drunk, but I went from happy to just very resentful, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. And I just started taking like being really angry and taking it all out on her. And it's Mm. really nothing that I'm proud of. And, and, and a lot has changed since then, but, but you know, the, the progressive nature of alcoholism for me just took me down to a very dark, just angry state, um, really pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was like really good. And then it got really bad really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, that path. Well, um, do you remember the last night that you drank? Was it very impactful or rock bottom or was it just kind of like any other night? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's terrible, but it's a little funny. Um, I'll, I'll kind of frame it up. So like, as I'm describing that finally somebody who's important to me is kind of like on to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to lose her and I don't want to lose my drinking. So without kind of knowing I needed to be like this abstinent, sober person, I'm like, surely there's got to be something that like went wrong in my head that if I can just like go to therapy and tweak it, then I can like get out of this like really angry headspace when I drink and blackout and go back to being a happy blackout. Like my whole goal by seeing a therapist was like, I need to get back to like trusting myself when I blackout, you know, I need Mm. to be, I need to be good again because I didn't want to give up the career or the industry. Um, You know, I got to drink for free and be out every night of the week. I mean, I thought I had just like gamed the system, so to speak. And um, so anyway, getting back to your question, um, I have this buildup of of seeing a therapist who's going like, dude, you have a problem and and straight up, you just need to get AA. Like we can talk all you want, but it's not going to get you what you need. And he, you know, so I'm, he's just, I'm showing up. I'm, I'm telling him about how upset I am. I don't have friends or and my girlfriend's mad at me or I don't get outside enough or I don't make enough money or whatever. And this whole time he's just going, you, you just, you got to go get help. And I'm saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. So the build up to my last drunk, as you were asking is it, it's funny. Cause it was <laughs> my last drink. My last night drinking was super bowl 50. Okay. <laughs> and I only remember that cause it's like, 50 and I, I hate football and I hate the NFL. <laughs> you know, it just was like, well, it's the Super Bowl. I have to get like really drunk because it's the Super Bowl, you know? You're like, it's 50. It's a big, it's a big number. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's, that's, 50 is like cooler than 48 and well, I, I, I got to yeah, drink. I, I remember that, like finding any excuse to party. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's Cinco de Mayo. It's it's Arbor Day. It's just like, oh what a, it's God. Friday. Like any reason you're like, let's get, let's get drunk. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it was like, oh, it's Super Bowl 50. This is a big one. This is the 50th one. And, and I really need to drink. And, and the whole point was just for me to sit on a couch and just consume as much as possible. And, you know, it started with really high ABV craft beer that I'm, you know, I'm sure I was sloshing a lot of, and then it starts getting patchy. And then, um, the kind of the last thing I remember was, was having like an absolute pint glass full of this craft gin. 
and um, and then blacking out. And then I wake up the next day, and and my girlfriend and she was expecting our baby at this time. And she just was like, uh, you know, you, you're. I don't know where you're going, but you're not here anymore. Period. Like, there's no, there's no changing that. You know, you're out of our life, and goodbye. And we'll figure out how to pick up the pieces at a later date. And oh, wow. that was that perfect moment for me of just the months of pursuing the therapist. It wasn't working out. And, and just that last night of clarity where there was at least enough good in me left to just kind of realize, like, I don't want to not be in my child's life. Like, I, I, how is it that the drinking has just ripped it away? And, and I knew that she was serious. And, and the, the moment of clarity for me was not, I need to change for them. The clarity was truly like, this drinking is, a, is the issue. You know, it's not the money. It's not the, I need to change careers or I need to go fish more or go, you know, volunteer at the Humane Society once a week. It's like the alcohol and the drugs are a, a serious problem and they have to get addressed. And um, I picked up the phone that morning and within two days I was uh, working with the rehab and kind of getting onto my sober journey. So yeah, my last drunk was Super Bowl 50. <laughs> 50, not 49, 50. <laughs> Hope to keep oh, it wow. that way. Wow. So you went to rehab. Was it a, mm-hmm. was it a residential one? Yeah, I did. I did whole ass, you know, for real rehab. Um, so, and luckily this one was local. I had, I had a friend that had gotten sober and, and they lived over in, um, where do they live? I think they were in St. Augustine. So anyway, I just, I kind of called them for help because they, he had done a rehab in Gainesville at one point and I'm just like, what do I do? How do I navigate this? Like I, I am so desperate and I'm so beaten down. And, um, I ended up going to a local rehab here in Tampa. That's like one of the best in the nation. And, uh, you know, it was not like massages and swimming pools. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. it was just serious 12 step nitty gritty stuff and, uh, checked in and I was, they made me detox for five days, which at a local hospital, which I didn't appreciate. Um, and then I ended up going into the rehab and, and did 45 days there. So continual oh, wow. residential sleeping on a twin mattress uh, rehab. It, so there was, there was group therapy twice a day, but it was, it was very AA 12 step focused. There was an opportunity to like, if you were, if you were more in a kind of a, 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 a drug lifestyle and you wanted narcotics anonymous, they could help foster that. But the foundation was truly just Alcoholics Anonymous based 12 step recovery. So a lot of it circled around building a network in AA, getting a sponsor in AA, and just kind of learning how to begin communicating and interacting with people that are members of AA and kind of ingraining yourself in Tampa AA the best you can while literally living at rehab. I, I liked the discipline and the, to explain the discipline of this rehab, it was like, you know, every room you're in, there's, there's the 12 steps and the 12 traditions on the wall. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're in a men's group, you, there are certain times of the week where you're reading the, you know, early parts of the AA big book for an hour. Um, you know, there's like, some some nighttime groups where you would read a, a, a story or a chapter out of the NA book. Um, 
once a week they would do like a uh, kind of like a family dynamic, kind of like a cognitive behavioral therapy uh, kind of group. That'd be about an hour and a half, and then you know they were they you had the opportunity to go schlep yourself to an AA meeting every day. So it, it was truly diehard. Like, are you talking to your sponsor today? Are you talking to the AA guys in your network today? You know, what, what are you guys, what, what are you talking about? What, what, you know, are you, are you hesitating to, to believe in this program? And, and it becomes, you know, discussing stuff like, I don't know if I'm ready to explore what a higher power means to me. And I'm struggling with that, that kind of stuff. And, and everybody at the rehab was sober. Um, so everybody kind of knew it and got along and had a lot of sober time and were just really incredible people. I mean, it was, it was a really special place. Did you end up making any really good friends that are still a support system to you today or that you still keep in contact with? So like from a resident standpoint, just as they tell you, when you get any amount of sober time, you just recognize people start falling off the map, right? Going out relapsing or whatever. Like just like within my little graduating class, you know, I had a lot of good buddies that were working hard and a lot of them are gone now, but I have a couple friends that like from day one, you know, almost the same sobriety date, we're, we're still in touch and we still see each other and, and get coffee and go to some of the same meetings. Um, and then as I've kind of described a network, which is basically you just have contacts in your phone of guys that work an AA program in Tampa. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of been a fluid situation over the years, which is you know, some of these guys either went out or they moved or I fell out of touch and I'm more kind of invested in other guys with time that are friends. So I've maintained a couple of friendships from like the very early on where I was in the residential and then some friendships were that I made just by having to go put myself out there and get numbers of the guys at these meetings that they were taking us to. And then just as I had to take responsibility, you know, for my recovery over time, just, just pursuing guys that I looked up to and just getting their numbers and, and me being the one to kind of put myself out there and, and call and just check in and say how mm-hmm. I feel and, and just kind of, um, grow that way. Yeah. I think a lot of people hear the word rehab and get really, uh, intimidated based on your experience. Who do you think rehab would be beneficial for? Speaking for myself again, like I like kind of big dramatic changes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like when I graduated college and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take this, you know, career and it's going to begin down in Tampa. That was just a very big kind of move that I took, you know, and I've had a lot of those throughout my life where I like, I like some big, very out of body relocate, you know, learn a lot of new stuff quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, uh, I have a breakup. I'm going to move across the country. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Just, just, I want, um, maybe you can relate to this, like a system shock in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like that feeling of kind of knowing myself and knowing like, do I have my wits about me? Right. So mm-hmm. for me, I didn't, I didn't exactly, I didn't know much about a rehab. I just, I kind of had this premise of like, I knew how badly I had sunk it down into drinking and using drugs. And it, it just felt very important to me that I shock my own system. And I knew that if I literally fell out of a career, 
you know, I literally fell out of an industry, go dark, check myself into a rehab, just fire hose myself at a rehab with just sober information that that would be a pretty, you know, that'd be a pretty good system shock. And I yeah. just, I just kind of felt, all right, this is, this is the way I need to have a reset because, you know, I was out of options and I, I could recognize that I just wasn't getting it. So like who needs to go to rehab? Who doesn't? Um, that's, that's a hard question to answer. You've just completely run out of options. AA will always be there for you and the help in AA is there and it's just for the people who want it. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thinking about it, I think on rehab could really benefit anybody. I think people go to rehab first, like not just drinking or drugs, but some go for depression or trauma or all sorts of things. And so mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think it could really benefit anyone to just kind of separate from their world for a little while and detox not only physically but mentally and just find a lot of healing so um yeah I mean I I get why people kind of twitch at the sound of rehab or kind of freak out a little bit when they hear that word or but uh, I think at the end of the day it's it's really not scary it's a really helpful situation I think the issue might be a lot of people feel like they can't either get away from work or their family or life for that amount of time or spend that amount of money. So I think that's the tricky part, if anything. It, uh, it, it was tough. I mean, it was a financial sh- system shock. Um, you know, by, by taking that move, I drained a 401k. You know, I was absolutely dead broke and we had a four-month-old baby on the way <laughs> while I was in there. You know, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was very scary. Um luckily I had a little bit of like short-term leave I could take and a little bit of insurance to help me like limp along in there. Um, but it, 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 yeah, it was, it affected the family dynamic. You know, I left, I left Mm -hmm. my, my wife alone, uh, for over 45 days, you know, while she's, uh, gestating her daughter, you know, and just the the worst time of her life. And, uh, it it just, it, it was, it was terrible. Um, yeah, I think that there's never really like a good time to go to rehab. And especially in your case, you had a lot going on personally with your, your family. If that's what someone needs to do, um, I think that that's something that they should do regardless of their situation. You can always make it work somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and part of like, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I my world, my reality was super two-dimensional when I was drinking. You know, I kind of had like some, I had my wits about me a little bit and I kind of had some logic and, you know, being young and being a young drunk, I kind of thought I knew how the world worked. But I, it was super binary for me, just kind of on or off stuff. And I, 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 the world didn't feel very rich or very full or like that there was a lot of room to fail. And if I had the discipline, I could work myself into a new opportunity. And, and that system shock and coming out and leaving the job and, taking a menial job while I find something above board and not nights and weekends and cocaine and all that. I, I just realized that there, it's a really rich full world out there and, and yeah. there are a lot of possibilities and a lot of opportunities for anybody when they want to pursue sobriety. And, and more or less, if, if somebody is listening and questioning if they should go get help or questioning going to rehab, you know, the, the, 
the pursuit of sobriety and the pursuit of help for drinking and drug use, there's, there's usually a pretty good, there's a, there's a pretty good support system there. It's just kind of right underneath the surface in whatever way you want to pursue help. Was your wife able to visit you or communicate with you while you were there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, we had like a landline (laughs) at the, uh, at the rehab so we all had to like fight to use the landline and uh yeah we'd we'd (laughs) we'd be in touch you know and 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 she came by a couple times but uh, i mean i had i had really hurt her i mean i had i had really just i I mean i had just really messed up and um so our conversations you know were just kind of like what'd you learn what are you doing you know, but I think there's a lot of her kind of trying to just figure me out because, you know, you're, you're going from your your spouse, your baby daddy, just being this absolute monster to this guy that's kind of going, yeah, I got up and I meditated and, you know, I've been praying and now I'm in men's group and this and that. So it was, you know, neither yeah. of us had been through that before. And it was very work in progress, just kind of, just kind of just temp checking each other a lot. If we did talk, just kind of, you know, what, what, where do you... What's, what are you all about in there? Like, what is this AA thing all about? You know, and just kind of like, mm, how are you doing? How are you feeling with our baby? You know, is, is what I'm doing something that sounds like, you know, maybe we can reconnect and retry this thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one, probably understanding what, what's going on and things that you're doing, but also wondering, okay, is this going to stick? And is this who he is now? Oh, big time, big time. And that took a while and rightly so. I mean, I, I, I had a, I had a horrible track record. So, and she said a lot, you know, just cautiously optimistic, you know, just a lot of like, no more talking and saying, okay, I'm done doing this. I'm done drinking white liquor or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm going to change this time to just straight up. Like I'm waking up, I'm going to a sober job. I'm going to an AA meeting a day. And this is my routine. And this is the person I'm growing into. And, and, are you, are you willing to take this chance with me or, or will this not work for you? And luckily she's been willing to work with me and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. So once you finished rehab, I know sometimes they recommend that you go into sober living, which is kind of like a way to transition from rehab back into the real world. So you kind of return to work and to life, but you just, your residence is an apartment building or a home with other sober people that usually just kind of came out of rehab as well and you're in a similar place. So it kind of helps mm-hmm. with that transition. Yeah, um, absolutely. But- so mine strongly suggested that and um, having the only person in the house, my, my actual residence being my, my pregnant girlfriend and just kind of working with the rehab staff and talking to them, they kind of agreed it was okay that I go home versus go into a sober facility just because I had a, a baby that was due like four oh, months yeah. from now, you know, and um, there was no alcohol in the house or anything like that. So, I, you know, I, I hate to kind of be hypocritical and go, it, it, it really is great for anybody to go into sober living when they get out. I've seen that just by sponsoring a ton of guys and, and just working with the guys and seeing just how well they can do if they give sober living a chance. And it, I know I didn't have that directly, but I was super lucky to have connected with a guy that was starting a sober facility in St. Pete. And um, he basically needed a handyman to just kind of pay under the table and just like get this 
big apartment building fixed up and uh, and kind of, you know, prepare to work sober living tenants into these rooms. And so I became that guy. I would demo the rooms and repaint them and kind of fix everything up. And um, so technically, you know, for me, I'm at my residence, but I'm waking up, I'm hitting a 7 a.m. meeting that's over at 8. And then from 8 to 8.15, I'm, I'm driving right up the road to the little sober house and I'm literally working at a sober living facility until 5 p.m. when I'm going home to my alcohol-free house. Mm-hmm you know, with, with the baby mama. So it was, it was as close as I could get to that. Yeah. I think a big question is, you know, when you got sober, I'm assuming you kind of had to walk away from your career working in the beer industry, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How was so, that? So that, that was so interesting, you know, cause uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I was nervous about being actually just dead ass broke having a baby on the way being a young guy and just like i i I truly thought i had the next 40 years of a career kind of laid out in front of me and everybody at the rehab is going you can't go work there and i'm going not even in a cubicle you know not even accounts receivable i can't go work in the billing department or whatever and they're like no you've got to get out of there so the the first scary transition was going in and tendering the resignation and and you know, the advice through the rehab and through my sponsor was go, go work a menial job. Just, just do something where AA remains the priority and don't worry about what your career will be right now. Just kind of go do that and set it straight. So it was certainly scary, but I've been really lucky through, through kind of the, the 12 step organization in Tampa Bay to just have a lot of experienced people who have succeeded in the program. Just go, just trust this process, man, leave this old career and, and just buckle down and just take it day by day and just work on maintaining your sobriety. And I think the hardest thing was just, just, it it was really hard and confusing and difficult to kind of, I mean, it was saying goodbye to like an entire era, you know, it was kind of Mm -hmm. like the last episode of cheers. And I I really ghosted a lot of people because I just was so afraid to talk to anybody that was like, even in my orbit when I was drinking. And I I don't, you know, looking back, I don't know if I handled that the right way, but it it just kind of was what it was, which is, you know, when I had to leave the industry of like, I can't, I can't talk to any of my drinking buddies anymore, any of my friends anymore. Like I just, I need to, I need to like, get involved in this other stuff now, these other sober extracurriculars. So, you know, I, I healed over time, but it was, it was the, the hardest part was that strange transition out of all of those friendships, you know, ghosting a lot of people just out of my own fear of even reconnecting with that lifestyle, you know, mm-hmm. even, even over text or a phone call and, and just kind of assuming, assuming this new life. Right. And I, I don't blame you. I mean, you had a lot on the on the line there with your wife and a baby on the way and your own life that you're fighting for. And and it's and you're new to sobriety and you're trying to figure out so many things. And so um, you just do the best that you can. And at the time, that probably felt like the right thing and yeah. it may have been the right the right thing. I kind of liken so, it to like, did you ever watch all through Breaking Bad? Pretty much. OK. I, yeah. So, well, the premise is um, toward the later seasons of Breaking Bad, this the main meth cook, Walter, kind of had this opportunity mm-hmm. to link up with a guy that could give him a new life. He would show up at this like little rinky-dink 
vacuum repair shop. And if he showed up and said the code word, right, and handed the guy like $130,000, he could really just drop off the face of the earth. He'd be given a new identity. He'd be sent across country and he could kind of go bug out and just be in isolation um, and hit the reset button. And, and that's kind of how I describe that a lot for my own story and the way that I, I help some of the guys I sponsor kind of predict what's ahead is like, it's, it's a really good life change, but I mean, everything changes, or at least that's been the way that I've handled it. And, and you're right. Who knows how it could be if I did it differently, but it, it, it certainly felt like that whole, you know, get stuffed into the back of a minivan with a burlap sack on your head for 30 hours and then you blink <laughs> and you're in like snowy New Hampshire and you're like, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess this is my new life now especially in those early years. Cause I was, I was really in rebuild mode, you know, so not everybody would be in a position like I am in those, in those early days. But for me, it was like, get into a really good AA rhythm and also just like figure out a, a new career that I can kind of jump into because I've got this additional like baby on the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is yeah. super confusing and scary. And, um, uh, and just just a lot to a lot to bear early on that not everybody has but like for me what really helped was again talking to that system shock like waking up every day at six to start work when you know previously i'd wake up at like 11 you know just hung over mm-hmm. and then go clock in at, at some local like like bistro or not, not even, what would you call it? Like a brew pub or something and go have like a mm-hmm. bar manager conversation to just start my day and tie one on. Um, so starting early in the morning, just, just physically being able to work with my hands at the job that I had. And then just binging like a ton of podcasts, just the, the sheer volume of podcasts that I consumed for about six months. I, for some reason, just really did my mind and my soul well. And, um, were these I like had, sobriety podcasts? Never actually. Any... Oh, <laughs> they, were, okay. yeah, they were, I was like, I was like sobered out, you know, cause You're I like, was doing I just AA. listened, I just listened to Joe Rogan <laughs> 15 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. He's the yin, the yin to my gang. Um, <laughs> it just stuff like, um, it's dorky shit, like planet money, Radio Lab, uh, This American Life. That was when mm-hmm. uh, the Serial podcast had come out. And so Serial, the first season was like with the guy in Maryland that, you know, everybody's convinced didn't kill his high school sweetheart. And then they had just released another <laughs> uh, season where they were, you know, that the, the deserter in, in Afghanistan. They did like a whole podcast series on him. And, and so anyway, I just was all over the map with with just interesting stuff that could hold my attention. Right. And, and okay. I like, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I'm sure part of it was just, I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts for like the good first few months that I was, you know, drying out and, and recovering in sobriety. Right. I mean, that's just a lot of time to just all of a sudden be in my head and not have my medicine anymore. And so the podcast really helped me just recalibrate. And, and for, for me, I don't think it was that unhealthy to just shove a bunch of conversational knowledge in my head for a few months and just kind of reset. And then I'm assuming you're going to a lot of AA meetings since that's a big part of your recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you going to one every day? 
Yeah, I did a meeting a day, and in AA they tell you to go to ninety AA meetings in ninety days. And yeah, if you I that. yeah, if you don't uh, if you don't like what they have, uh, they'll gladly refund you your misery, is what they like to say. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, I miss those AA sayings. <laughs> so. Anyway, I, I did a I did a morning one every day for a long time, and, and that just speaks to that whole, uh, you know, I, I I just was such a lazy layabout, just sleep till eleven kind of guy, and and to just force my body into like wake up and go to a seven a.m. AA meeting every day. I did that for uh, probably probably the first six months. I I, I had a seven a.m. I went to every day. And then on Sundays, there was an 815 that I went to that was pretty close by. And so, yeah, I mean, technically, I got like sober in downtown St. Pete. And there were some great AA clubhouses over there. And um, that was, that was, I mean, I, I owe everything to that time. I never did the 12 steps. I just kind of went to meetings occasionally when I was feeling like I needed some extra support in the, mo- in the moment. I would just Google, you know. LAAA and I would find a meeting that's happening in like 15 minutes and I could run to there and I would just go to the meeting to get if I had like an urge to drink or something like that but if people that are really committed to the program doing the 12 steps is a huge part of it Mm -hmm. so um I mean you don't have to go through like every the details of every step but like how would you sum up the 12 steps I think the thing to relate or summarize like if if um if you're somebody who's sat down or maybe you've gone to an AA meeting and somebody's rubbed you the wrong way and it, it feels like a cult or, or religious, you know, I certainly relate to that too. But like the whole point of AA is you find somebody that you connect with that can take you through the 12 steps, right? Which the whole point of them is that they give you what they call a spiritual awakening. But it's not to have, um, it's, everyone gets to interpret spiritual awakening a little bit different. And it's also not so that you can become like a bona fide member of the Roman Catholic church, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, a born again Christian, you know, like my early days in AA, when you're just sitting there going like, what the fuck? And you're staring at the wall and you're looking at the steps. It's like, you see the word God and higher power. And it's like, I I share this in meetings a lot, but I, I would interpret the steps as like, I have to like draw the blade across my palm and like place my palm on the AA holy parchment, and like <laughs> bleed my blood and become this like cliche AA robot, you know, and I wasn't going to be my true self. I'm going to be like in a cult and all I'm going to do is just quote little meditative, you know, whimsy and, and you know, that scared me. Right. Cause I'm just sitting here staring at these kind of ominous phrases, uh, day in and day out. And, you know, my experience, and as I would say it is for a lot of people is like, AA is just not that. I mean, I, I am given, I'm given all the runway in the world to kind of ask, like, what is the thing greater than me that guides me? And sometimes it's like, I'm on my knees praying, there's a creator. And for me, sometimes there's like, especially these last couple of years where I'm like, I'm just, I'm just a part of this like order of nature, you know, that I can, that I can seek input from, but I don't really expect anything back from, but I'm just a part of this bigger thing that's experiencing itself. 
And right. to me, I kind of lay my head a little bit better at that at night. And it, it's scary because like when you're first in it there, you know, people will tell you, you know, get on your knees and pray and recite the things and recite the serenity prayer and recite the third set prayer. And, and I did all of that and I, I found it very helpful, but there's no, there's no force feeding. Like you you go to church now kind of thing. I mean, the last time I went to church was like when I was in rehab and that was cause they had an optional trip to take you to a church on Sundays. And I'm like, sure, I'll go like anything to get, get out of the rehab. I'm going yeah. even if it's church. So my whole point about the spiritual awakening is like you're doing these like very significant actionable things. Like you're literally writing down an inventory of what floats around in your head. You know, like what are you afraid of in life? What, what, who do you hate? Who do you resent? What do you think you deserve? You know, and then you're giving a confession of that to somebody you trust in AA. And then later on you have to actually make amends for the wrong things that you did while you were out drinking or using drugs, you know, and, and, and you're sitting there having these very human conversations of like, you know, I, I, I stole money from you and I'd like to pay this money back to you. And I'd also like to ask you, is there anything else I can do for, to make up from stealing this money from you a long time ago? Mm -hmm. And just having these very almost surreal, very humanizing moments of growth and then all of a sudden you blink and and the spiritual awakening as i've experienced it it's just like not only do i feel like a different person but i'm not thinking about using drugs or drinking anymore or if i do i think to myself that sounds like a terrible idea and i i don't want to be involved in that and that's like a serious change from where i was when i was you know yelling at my poor pregnant girlfriend and thinking that I was going to just drink and party until I died. And I just needed to be a happy blackout. It sounds like you're an entirely different person than you were right before you got sober. I mean, I, I, I'm not embellishing, you know, I, I really feel like everything is different. Mm-hmm. You know, there's very little about like my life today that I can kind of connect to the way that I acted or behaved back in the day. Other than like, there's this kind of like, you know, consciousness or this like little soul that I carry around that wants to be around people. And I like good energy and I like being outside. I mean, I always had that as a part of me, but I just was so misguided and misdirected. And like that, that those little things that I guess make me, me and like the stuff that makes you, you, that didn't go away or change. I just finally have a life where I can like comfortably and in good health like explore and nourish myself like as an alcoholic and the way I understand my disease like I don't have a drinking problem I have a sober problem which Mm. is I don't like the way that I feel when I'm sober and I can stop the drug use and I can stop the alcohol use but I can't stay stopped because I I I had found and kind of uncovered the secret to managing life, which was drugs and alcohol. And it was just running me into a ditch. So the, the steps become, how can I live with myself, you know, and actually feel comfortable. Every AA kind of like group or clubhouse or just, just kind of the, the design and format of a meeting. It's, it's very dynamic. I mean, really no two are alike. So 
a lot of people run the risk of you could go to an AA meeting and it's it's people or it's energy that one may not connect with. You know, for me, yeah. I like a lot of old successful guys with a lot of time that have just like a lot of like hard rigor in AA that I can connect with. Right. Like I like these old mm. doctors that just have 20 years of sobriety and that take the stuff like really seriously, but you know, also can share some interests that, that I'm into, you know, and some people prefer like a, a younger crowd, like people only their age. You know, if I'm 21 years old, I want to be, by other 21 year olds getting sober with me. And, and that's the community they want, but just the nuance and the rules and the, the, the way that everyone kind of does business um, is very different, you know? So for me, it took, a, I got lucky, but it, it did take some shopping around, you know, I would, I would hit up a lot of meetings where I'm like, ah, I'm not feeling this, you know, I don't. Eh. Yeah. That's a good point because I think some of my resistance with that, AA comes from the fact that I was going to meetings in Los Angeles where it's very much about it's a lot about the scene just because that's how LA is in general it's a lot about like you know what you look like and you're literally like in meetings with celebrities and you're like oh my god so and so is over there in the corner I'm having a hard time like focusing on myself right now in this meeting and I think that really got to me um, and distracted me a lot in the meetings. And it made sure. me self-conscious about like, oh, my God, if I'm going to do a share, like I want it to sound really cool and be really impactful. And it, for me, I was really self-conscious about being seen and heard because of the people I was around. I like almost wish that I had just gone to like a meeting in St. Pete with like a more diverse group, maybe some mm-hmm. older people where I, it wasn't that pressure to like of what I sounded or looked like as much. Um, so I think that's true. The meeting that you go to in the city that you go to it in, it, it really can make a big difference. I, I relate so much to what you're describing and um, I, you know, obviously I, I wouldn't name names, but every once in a while in Tampa, you'll have, you'll have somebody that's maybe done, done something of some fame or some recognition, you know, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And even for me, I, I do change. I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know, oh, what do I sound like if I share? And it doesn't matter. It's not important, but that's totally my gut reaction is just kind of like speaking for myself. I'll be like, well, how does, how does the famous person perceive me? You know, <laughs> yeah. there's probably still like, some work to be done there, but it, it, it yeah. does take some patience with it because, because you, you'll just have to hit certain nights of the week, certain times. And then I, I, I hate to be talking at you like that. I, I just mean more in general, like, you know, the, those that shop around will end up finding those gems where it's like, I could come back and, and I'd love to spend another hour of my time listening to these guys. Like this stuff makes sense, you know, and that's mm-hmm. out there. And I, I'm lucky that Tampa Bay really has that. Um, we, we actually moved to Virginia for about a year, um, halfway through my sobriety. Oh. And, um, I just kind of immediately, um, I, I, there was a promotional opportunity with this job I ended up working with. And, and, um, it, you know, I immediately was like, I, I'm going to remain ingrained in AA. I had been through the steps, so I needed to sponsor a guy and the group was great. It was another morning time. It was like a little bit better, but, um, in terms of like when I could wake up and go to it, but there just was no, 
new guy coming in asking for help. And and for me and the way I work an AA program, I like being around the new guys that are going, I'm like a week sober and I need help. You know, I like, mm -hmm. I like being in their phone network for those kinds of problems, not just, and I, 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 I'm not trying to call anybody out. Just my style is like, I can only be around, I can only succeed in sobriety by being around other people with a ton of time for so long before it's like, okay, I need to be telling somebody about the solution to AA because otherwise I'm just, I'm going to warp my own thinking. So where are you today? I know you are now married to mm -hmm. the same person that was with you when you got sober, which she sounds yeah. like a very lovely person, by the way. Yeah. So um, we got married three years ago and we have two children now. Um, so I have an older daughter and a younger son and Aww. yeah, and, uh, our, our little family unit is, uh, complete. Um, you know, so since then I kind of mentioned, I changed industries. I'm still a uh, representative only it's just for something in the daytime and <laughs> it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the bar tab. Um, <laughs> and you know, we did a little stint in, um, in Virginia and just really didn't like it up there and had an opportunity to come home and, and change companies, stay in my new industry and um, come back to Tampa. So we, we relocated back um, into the Northern part of Tampa, but you know, St. Pete is probably still our, like our, our home away from home in a lot of ways. But so I've been able to hang on to a job for a few years uh, straight now, no DUIs. Um, <laughs> You know, I go to AA a couple times a week. Um, I'm able to really kind of have some hobbies that I enjoy. Like one thing that I've kind of gotten into the last couple of months is um, I, I went out and I bought a kegerator and I bought all <laughs> I bought all of this home home brewing gear. But it's because like one of my biggest things since getting sober is just like sparkling water. I mean. Oh my God. I was going to ask you because I saw on your Instagram, you were like homemade Topo Chico. I was like, what? <laughs> I was just going through cases of that stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm like, we're going to have no money for groceries, the amount of Topo Chico that I was <laughs> drinking. And it's been that way for years. Just, just a crazy seltzer habit. So I finally was like, I'm going to get a little kegerator. And I basically, I just filled these little five gallon corny kegs up with like really high quality filtered water. And then I carbonate it and I've just got, um, seltzer on tap for whenever I want it. And I, I can, I've, I use brewers minerals ironically to kind of tweak the flavor profile so I can like clone and mimic what a, a Topo Chico would taste like and kind of the uh -huh. mouthfeel and all that. So I was able to get back into that and, uh, that's, you know, I, yeah. That's awesome. Do you do fla different flavors? So, um, one of the big ones was the, I, I loved mango bubbly for a long time and <laughs> they have since begun selling like bottles of like their concentrate syrup, which is this concentrate natural flavoring. Like if you get a drop of it on your thumb, it smells like mangoes for a day and a half. Um, but sometimes <laughs> I'll do a little, <laughs> yeah, I'll do a little drop of that into a cup sometimes. So if I want my, my mango seltzer on demand, I can do that. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like I have a good balance, you know, um, AA uh, and Zoom on AA was not ideal, but I did a lot of that to just stay in the boat and just kind of stay in the solution, even though it wasn't what I thought was an ideal solution. It, it, it that got me through a lot. And, and are, are people back to doing meetings in person now? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the, this kind of just becomes the the floor to being a butt of all jokes. But I, as I'm sure you're about to uncover by coming down here to Florida, I mean, it's just it's like the Wild West down here. I mean, it's yeah. no mask, open season, no rules, <laughs> no rules, like no shirt, no shoes, no problem. I mean, the just the Florida everyone knows and loves. So yeah, meetings have been back open for a good while and. Um, <laughs> they closed for a week. That was, yeah. that was about it. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Some of them just kept going, but for me, I, I, I laid low for a while, and it, it just was like death by a thousand cuts. And and you know, like you're saying, Lindsay, like the the community. I just miss the community. You mentioned St. Pete is kind of like you still consider that home, although mm-hmm. you're now in North Tampa. What uh, is your favorite thing to do there, and what do you recommend that that Eric and I do when we're in town? So I kind of. We've, we finally have a sitter again and we can go, my wife and I can go on little day dates because I used to like be the craft beer rep down there. So I loved all the restaurants, you know, and we refer to our, like our Sunday fun days that we have now is I describe it as I basically, we drive to St. Pete and then I just unhinge my jaw and I just shovel food into my mouth for about eight to 10 hours and then go <laughs> home. So it's still an incredible place to just kind of like, tromp around and just pop into places to eat or get a cheese board, you know, or like um, just kind of like mural hop still. But the thing we're really enjoying is um, it's a great downtown area to, uh, to scooter in. So if you guys are into like the electric bikes or if you guys ever like doing Ooh. the little scooters, I know they're super like annoying to some people and I know drivers. No, hate them. I- I don't think they're annoying. I think they're dangerous. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, 100%. For, for, for me, at least. I broke my arm on a scooter when I was like 10. And I think oh, no. that just that just really sums up my, how I would do on a scooter, and especially an electric one. Well, so. they to be fair, they have like the sit-down ones now. They're like, oh. you know, like, uh, like a little tiny moped kind of deal. Okay. Um, they also have the electric bikes. Uh, St. Pete is just a great town to just go scooter around in and just tromp around. Um, nice. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to um, try and check out the Dolly Museum as well, which I, I went to years ago, but I remember it being very cool. So we're going to do that as well. Yeah. And you're right there. They've redone the pier. It's a lot of fun to walk around. Um, it, you kind of did the cross country trip to LA. So you might have a bug for this. It, I, I know I have from the times I'm at West. There's like a really good Western museum downtown as well. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it's got like a lot of like, it's called the James Museum and they have like a lot of historical paintings of like settling the Wild West, that kind of stuff. And that is um, very random for Florida. <laughs> I know. Once <laughs> again, Florida has no rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, you guys can go there with no shoes, I'm sure. And it'll be fine. <laughs> But that's right in the heart of downtown. So it's still totally just like a coffee scene and an eating scene and a boutique scene. But it's fun when you just resolve yourself to travel the entire city on scooter for six hours. It it makes it fun. Yeah. Well, if I can sit down then on a scooter, then maybe I'll give it a shot. Mm -hmm. It seems Mm -hmm. less risky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's... There's like a minute clinic on every other block downtown. And I, I have a feeling it's directly related <laughs> to just, you know. They're like, <laughs> discount for scooter injuries. Mm-hmm. They're like, we want your compound fracture. Please get over here. <laughs> oh, 
great. Uh, I, I'm super uh, grateful you would consider to have me on just because oh. I haven't been able to really kind of like talk and, and just kind of shed light on the, on my journey in the beer industry. It's, it's kind of been a long time and, and I, I'm glad I had a platform like this and I really enjoyed uh, seeing you get back into this thing and, and get recharged in it. I, I think especially for this genre, I just feel like you do an incredible job capturing like, I don't know, the, the, the spirit of our little um, niche of millennials, you know, that are kind of like growing up and like some of the millennials starting to like put the old bourbon bottle down the kitchen sink. (laughs) Yeah. This this kind of um, coming out of the cocoon, so to speak, the metamorphosis. I just feel like you're the the way that you're bringing guests on and, and, and navigating this podcast is, is it seems very unique. And I think it's really kind of capturing a, capturing an era so i i'm enjoying oh. listening to it and i just i really hope you continue oh well thank you so much um do you mind sharing your your instagram handle for anyone that may have more questions about aa yeah actually that i that would be awesome so if anybody wants to chat um my instagram handle would be at and then evan hask which is e-v-a-n-h-a-s-k cool and it's right. mostly just pictures of my wife and kids <laughs> Which are, ador- all three are adorable. <laughs> thank you. You have the cutest family. So. <laughs> thank you. Well, yeah. um, thank you again, Evan, for, for being on the podcast. And um, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> and uh, I hope to stay in touch with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to just hearing you guys um, continue your journey across the country. And uh, my folks live in Charleston now. So I know that Eric was really <sighs> enjoying Charleston. And, and uh, Yes, that is our favorite. Wouldn't hate it if you guys ended up there. It's We love getting up there. Yeah, we actually, it's funny you mentioned that. We're in Savannah right now. And um, we're like, Savannah's just kind of like a slightly worse version of Charleston. <laughs> just like, it's like, it's like Charleston, but Charleston is much better. So oh we're my like, God, yeah. yeah, that's by far been our favorite place. And it's such a cool town. So mm-hmm. that could be where we end up. We'll see. Well, but, good, good luck to you guys. And, um, and I, I just greatly appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk soon. Yeah, great. Thank you.